0: Independent Left. dot news. Indie. Indie. What's up, Indie? Indie News Network. Indie.
1: I get news from Independent Left.
0: Independent Left. dot news. Independent
1: Left. dot news. Indie Left Media. Independent Left News. Indie Left. Indie left. Independent Left News. Independent Left Media. Indie Media. Indie Left. Indie. 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 Indie, Indie. Indie Left News. Indie Left. Hi, Indie. Indie Left News. Subscribe to Indie News
0: Network. We're world building. Your your way of assisting, I feel like, is really cool. IndependentLeft.news. Independent Left News. Independent left news. Independent he created INN. The founder of uh, Independent News Network. Indy is the founder of Indy News Network. Thank you, Independent Left News. A huge thank you and shout out to Indy Left.
1: Everyone, check out Indie Left News. Hey Indy Left, independentleft.news. Indy Indy. Hi Indy. Indy Left. Indy Left news. Indy news. Independent media. Independent left news has done an amazing job. did it one more week yay we turned the buttons on we made it work and we're here holy shit um hey it's sunday night and we're actually here on our regularly scheduled evening um you see this guy over there you see from his nameplate his name is reef breland um i'm indy hi everybody hi everybody everybody. um is your mic low or you have to pull a little closer maybe
0: no i just sat up
1: okay um give a couple people some chances to get in here we're just getting started it is how do we miss that it is sunday night it is was there was there something that just happened like earlier today like
0: i don't know uh janet janet jackson exposed herself
1: no it was rihanna i hear i hear i hear rihanna was actually the
0: the the activity to
1: this evening and the, uh, the entertainment for the halftime show. Cause my kids were most excited about watching that. And then they went to bed after halftime. So we had a little bit of time to get set up and it's been a, it's been a week. It's been a week. um We've already done two. How did we miss that this week? In case everyone hasn't been caught up, but um we did, we were supposed to do one uh, last Sunday night. But I was sick as a dog, so we didn't do that. And then Tuesday morning, Fiorella Isabel from the condo couch was kind enough to join me and and take place for of reef while he was sleeping. And just because I asked her to join me and picked yeah. a few stories to go through, and that was a lot of fun. I really appreciate her joining. And then on Thursday night, we did the Tuesday the what would have been the Sunday night. How did we miss that? So we've got that all Yep. edited it out and scheduled up and the first clip of that was the temple university strike grad student strike that we covered last week i published that at nine o'clock because i wanted people to maybe see it beforehand i know they were they were watching something else but in case they weren't they wanted to see that and see this first that was out there for them to see because we're going to do a follow-up to that story tonight <clears throat> um no, 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 Kanye, no Yay tonight. Uh, I don't know where Yay is. I don't know where where all the celebrities that are usually here. Eric T Red isn't even usually here. Well, now they're starting to pour in. Okay, we got nine. It's starting to mm-hmm. filter now. Inn also got a content strike, so Inn's not alerting anybody this week. But we might have lost a couple people because they usually come in through Inn. <clears throat> uh, thank you to me who decided to stupidly publish a Joe video that made fun of Pfizer for their own misinformation um, showing how they spoke out of both sides of their mouths, but safe and effective. It's safe and effective. Everybody go get your shots safe and effective um, as YouTube is requiring us to say at this point, I believe. So um,
2: what was your week like, dude? You were pretty busy.
0: Um. Yeah, I think. I don't even remember what I did most of it. I know we did Tar Stream. When was that? Monday. And in news on Wednesday.
1: You did news.
0: Which we did on Rockford and Rumble because of the strike. Um,
1: Screw you, YouTube.
2: Thank you. Other than that. I don't know, but we
1: got. Uh, The last two podcast episodes are already out, so if you listen on the podcast, and you can do that on Spotify, on Amazon, on Apple, on Google Podcasts, you can download that. Um, So let's just start to get into it. So welcome to How Do We Miss That? How Do We Miss That? is a podcast and live stream featuring articles written by independent journalists who expose corruption cover the growing labor movement and challenge establishment narratives and talking points. We're going to certainly do that tonight. Um, new episodes stream live Sunday nights 10 p.m. Eastern on our YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Rockfin, Substack, Facebook, Telegram channels. Podcasts usually published within a couple of days. I'm Andy, the co-host, founder, editor of Indie Left News and Indie Media Today, Substack. And this guy sitting next to me, he's he's Reef Breland. He's also INN's technical director. He's the creator of INN News. He talked about that and Reef for After Dark, which hopefully we're going to be going get going again. Late night show one of these mm-hmm. days. Um, both hosts are founder, co-founders of Indie News Network, a collaborative family, that's us, of independent content creators. Find all our channels on indienews.network. Um, so all these stories were curated from this week's Indie News, uh, independentleft.news or News, and it's just a few of them. There are so many that that come out every day please make sure share the link like the stream subscribe to our channel on all the platforms you watch and listen we are everywhere and uh we are going to jump into some stories here boom shout out to big mad crab oh hold on let me let me share this and go out to the slideshow bam there we go now um chat is ready to display no Kanye so Shout out to Big Mac Crab for the thumbnail. Thank you. Really appreciate you. Um, you're the man. Um, we got five stories tonight, but a few of them are going to be pretty short. And one of them, two of them, are actually kind of decent. And then the other ones are depressing as shit. And I'm sorry, but we have to cover some news that isn't exactly rosy and happy. So our first story is about. Ever usually. Well, uh, you let. Li- I'll, I'll I'll let you say their name because because you like to say it but but on the Nord Stream 2 two thing we have we have an indie media award honoree writing <clears throat> a follow up well of course well we told you so and that's about Nord Stream and our confirmations that US and NATO were behind blowing up Nord Stream allegedly right but moon of Alabama and Alabama Alabama, as Nor uh, as Reef you go. is always there, how you to say. say it, that is how you say it, yes. Um, mm-hmm. so some small corrections to Seymour Hersh's new Nord Stream revelations, and I love Moon of Alabama because while everybody's gushing over Cy Hirsch, they're like, Yeah, but at the same time, Cy Hersh is legendary investigative reporter who's re- revealed dozens of crimes, his latest piece. Destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines in the Baltic Sea by U.S. government forces released an enormous amount of methane, global warming gas, right? It destroyed Germany's gas lifeline with Russia. We know this heavily damaged Germany's industry. Ecological economic terrorism by the U.S., of course, targeted at an ally, not just one ally, but actually all of the allies that are the owners of the pipeline. I think that they may even get to that, but if not, I, I can make that correction. The story is his, that his sources telling him is largely the same one that they had constructed from open sources on September 28th, the day after it was blown up. And here they are. But the story is, first of all, true. U.S. officials deny it means nothing. Actually, it's ex- kind of confirmation that it, that it is true. Previous revelations on domestic spying by CP- CIA on Eli Masker, uh, Abu Ghraib, were also denied, but eventually were all proven to be true story about the pipelines makes complete sense. Unfortunately, there are some details. For lack of access, he gets wrong or <coughs> um, they disagree with his assessment, which is that the story makes complete sense. Like I said, he writes that last June, the Navy divers were participating in Ball Tops 22, which planted the remote, remotely triggered explosives that three months later destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines however it's unlikely that the explosives were put out while the yearly baltops exercise was still ongoing per wikipedia entry about it even says right that they happened between the 5th and the 17th but that the and and you'll see which one okay they had a the usual mine hunting exercise was augmented this year with experimental mine-hunting unmanned underwater vehicles and the collection of environmental data sets for target recognition algorithms in conjunction with the Naval Undersea Warfare Center and the Naval Information Warfare Center Pacific. The whole exercise only took about 12 days. A lot of nations took part. Submarines were involved. Russians were around watching what was happening. They also had submarines in the wider area, right? So... They couldn't have really done it then. Mm-hmm. These are not good conditions to do a secret underwater work. It was much easier to do this later, underwater work. When everyone had turned back to port, the U.S. ships, though, did not sail home. They stayed around, did some harbor visits, and eventually settled near the island of Thornholm. Hmm, keep, that, uh, keep that name in mind, a few miles away from where the pipelines, uh, mm-hmm. from the pipelines where they started to do their work. And here is where the
0: pipeline was hit. What, what name? What's the name of the island? Bornholm?
1: That would be Bornholm. And here's where the pipeline was hit. Oh, mm. Yeah. There's where the leakage was. And then there was le- leakage there. So there were charges there. That was Nord Stream 2. This is Nord Stream 1. And there are two pipes for each one. So, <clears throat> mm, how about that? So, four pipelines two for one two for two like I said are strong steel pipe itself has a wall of 4.1 centimeters I mean an inch and uh, almost an inch and a half thick coated with another six to 11 centimeters of steel reinforced concrete each section weighs 11 tons each section weighs 11 tons which goes 24 to 25 tons after the concrete's applied Pipelines are also buried in the sandy sea ground, not deep but deep enough to prevent fishing equipment or anchors from damaging them. That makes perfect sense, right? mm-hmm in order to blow such pipelines it takes a lot more than just putting a few pounds of c four explosives on top of them. The pipelines had to first be dug out, must be less likely with most likely with pressurized water. next explosives had to be placed all around them. And then a trigger mechanism of some kind had to be deployed and fixed onto them.
0: And then lastly, the didn't explosive. We, what did we that? cover? Like we covered something that was like, it was like internally exploded, right? Yes.
1: Yes. And I, I don't remember what I, I'm look, I've been looking for that article and I think it was sometime in November. Um, We covered uh, one from spectator.au, but it didn't have that thing, but yes, it proved that that it only ha- it couldn't have come from internally it had to come from externally okay. mm. but the explosive laden section would have to be reburied in order to prevent detection or unforeseen entanglement with some external elements all of this had to be done at least four times if i planned the operation i probably would have gone for a total of eight explosive packages That's whole process takes time unmanned submarine like vehicles were needed check this out oh to carry um were needed to carry the hundreds of kilograms of explosives and equipment diving time at that depth is not unlimited and there must have been a few crew changes it probably took 3 or 4 weeks to fix this whole issue fix the whole issue quote unquote Right. When I wrote about the incident, I translated a German language report, which Hirsch likely had not found. And here's the original translation from back in September. Maybe this was even the, the article when we were talking about a Ukraine update and, and updating and blowing up the pipeline. Okay, which was that, again, this was in German, translated, that on Wednesday morning, the amphibious ship Kearsarge, and keep that name in mind escorted by the landing ships Arlington and Gunston Hall, was en route towards west. Previously, the ships were part of U.S. units that took part in NATO maneuvers and and called at numerous ports in Germany, Scandinavia, and the Baltic states. The Kearsarge, right, flagship of the association, and the largest warship of the U.S. Navy, which was in action in the Baltic Sea in the last 30 years, has 40 helicopters and fighter planes. As well as more than two thousand sh- soldiers on board, the escort ships about 2,000, about a thousand, for the for the around four thousand soldiers are heading back home on the east coast after the U.S. Uh, the U.S. after the six month deployment. I mean, it's it's a massive ship. Is the point? So the Kearsarge was much longer in the Baltic than Hirsch presumes. The explosives were put down sometime between the end of Baltops in June. And September 22nd, which was the date that the Kearsarge passed Fairmont to leave the Baltic Sea. They didn't leave until six days before the charges were set. Right. But here's the thing. Here's why, why Hirsch errs when he later writes about that Washington had second thoughts and that the bombs would still be planted. But the White House worried that a two day window for their detonation would be too close to the end of the exercise. It'd be obvious that America had been involved. Again, it's only six days after these guys had left. The thing goes boom anyway. Instead, the White House had a new request. Could they come up with a way to blow the pipelines later on command? That was what Hirsch came up with from Hirsch's source. He said that window was not extended by months between the end of Baltops and the explosions, but by a mere few days between somewhat around September 20th, when Kearsarge went on its way back home, and the 27th when the pipelines exploded. So it wasn't actually planted. They used that as the reason to bring the ship into the area, and then they left it there until six days before the thing went boom. Okay, uh, the piece starts with this, and he's, I don't remember that there was a subheadline to do it or some sentences about the war in Ukraine, but now the piece reads that on Thursday morning, the 22nd, a fleet group from the U.S. Navy passed Fairmont, the USS Kearsarge's flagship was the biggest of the warships. So that was from some visible sighting within Germany. And the breakdown then was that Russian nuclear submarines and NATO units were in the Strait of ships um, sail again, western direction, 40 helicopters and warplanes were on board. I don't know how they counted that, or they just know that that was the capacity. But what they said was that at the point and this was again in German translated into English by Moon of Alabama, quote, with the Russian War of Aggression against Ukraine, which began in February, and of course we know, and with the change in security policy it caused with NATO entry requests by Finland and Sweden, the Baltic has become a concentration area for naval forces of Russian and NATO. Um, this can be seen in the increasing number of warships that have passed the Strait of Fairmarn. Ferman Belt, during the past few months. Uh, this counts for Russian nuclear submarines just as much for NATO units. On Thursday morning, a fleet group passed Ferman. Then follow seemingly unchanged the two paragraphs I had translated previously. It is some weird editorializing to add the now leading new parts to the old small piece by a local newspaper nearly a month after it was already published. Who, the, who initiated that? That's pretty interesting um the new part does not make sense baltops is a yearly exercise baltops 22 was the 51st of its kind that it was held had nothing to do with the war in ukraine agreed but i think that it was the excuse for bringing in the in, in the kirsarch mm-hmm. so they say as far as they can tell there were no nuclear submarines from russia stationed in the way too shallow in the baltic sea um the so home harbors of Russia's nuclear fleets are Murmansk and the northern Kola Bay. Murmansk is super deep, right? And the Kola Bay for the northern Atlantic fleet.
3: <clears throat>
1: and I'm not even going to read. a nuclear submarine base on Kamchatka Peninsula uh, for the Pacific fleet. That's all the way out. Well, we would consider west, but to them, it's to the far east of their country. <clears throat> um, but it's on the side of the Pacific. It's above Japan. So, when a Russian nuclear submarine passes Fairmarn, it's most likely one from Murmansk that takes part in a Russian fleet parade in Saint Petersburg. That is like ball, that's like a Baltops yearly event, but to use that for warmongering is rather okay. stupid. So, end of excursion. So, there really wasn't a war. There was. There probably wasn't a Russian submarine in the area. Is what they're indica- is what they're implicating. I'm like, I I read that whole thing three times. Like, what the hell are they trying to say? Oh, okay. So what they're saying is, is that there was no reason for the Russians to actually be in the area. So the implication that they were is probably some kind of propaganda that's coming out of Hirsch's source. What was of interest in the piece I translated was not only uh, the time when U.S. ships left, but also the remark that Kearsarge was the largest ship of the U.S. Navy that was in action in the Baltic in the last 30 years. It was likely selected for this purpose. It has. And this is what I was asking you about the other day. Was Tell me about a well deck on a ship. So it's... Yep. Um, it's, go ahead.
0: Well, screw Google in the chat. Yeah, we launched hovercrafts out of them. Yep. Um. So a well deck is essentially just an empty room of a ship that has a wall on that you can remove and you can flood it with... A particular amount of water so it's like a dry dock on ship so it's how you get like amtrak's out landing craft hovercraft you know it's like a moon pool with a wall removed right and then Sometimes so the, there's a little floor so like you do water training in there so you don't have to be out in like the ocean you can be like in the well deck you know
1: yeah um, Conventional landing craft can also float their way out of the beach. So, like you said, that they've got like one hatch mm-hmm. that they can flood and open it up so that they can float their way out when they get into. Yeah, he I'm
0: said that you're quiet. Discord you got to pull your mic closer, dude. Oh, it was a Discord. Or turn me up in Discord. Like you, said. you probably have me real quiet?
1: Yeah, because you're loud always with your music, and mm-hmm. you know you're you, you you're your John Fogarty and your Zima and your um what's the joke? I I don't even remember what the hula hoops. Hula hoops, John Fogarty and Zima. Come on, it's it's Ernest Borden and um basketball. Anyway. I well am
0: deck. Too young for this reference. Basketball.
1: Usually mm-hmm. the Kearsarge would be a two too big missile target to be in the Baltic Sea, but the well deck comes in handy when one wants to test new underwater equipment or put explosives around pipelines. Hmm. Both things come in handy. So in support of ball tops, Six Fleet partnered with Navy Research Warfare, and this is why they brought it in, was because of this underwater equipment. "Quote unquote underwater equipment. Right. And again, where underwater did they say that the equipment. experimentation was? Oh, so was- that's
0: going to be, you're writing the next Austin Powers movie? Yes. Underwater equipment. Yeah.
1: But they even announced doing? it right here. Experimentation was conducted off the coast of Bornholm, Denmark, with participants from Naval Information Warfare Center Pacific, Naval Undersea Warfare Center Newport, and Mine Warfare Center Readiness and Effectiveness measuring all under the direction of the U.S. Sixth Fleet Task Force 68. Frogs. Basically, why is frogs. it not 69? Frogmen. Bornholm is, of course, where the pipelines went. So, to them, the one new surprising item in the Hirsch piece is the involvement of the Norwegian forces to trigger the explosions by sonar buoy signals from a P-8 Navy surveillance plane. Uh, I would have bet on Swedish, Bo- British, or Polish involvement, but Norway makes even more sense as it will profit from the Nord Stream destruction. What's
0: that, Graz over there? I forget their name uh okay um, i don't know norwegian special forces oh
1: yeah um, larry johnson who's an old friend of cy hirsch has found a video by someone who tracked a norwegian p8 flying in the pipeline area shortly before the explosion so that kind of aligns too unfortunately mm-hmm. for nor norway though that though it's on its own now increased gas in uh, exports also depend on pipelines of course so on the day the Nord Stream explosions. Denmark and Poland inaugurated a new pipeline that brings Norwegian gas to Poland. Hmm, how about that? <clears throat> Russia certainly has so no means to blow
0: up the, dead fish, the pipe.
1: Um, what? <laughs> so, Russia certainly has the means to do to Norwegian pipelines what the US and Norway have done to Nord Stream. So, another small quip. Was that Sweden had applied for NATO membership right and had demonstrated its great skill in managing underwater sound management sensor systems, track Russian submarines and that would occasionally show up in the remote waters of the Swedish archipelago I like that word, and be forced to the surface, except most of the Russian subs detected were never there more than half of the many incidents I love this were unlikely violations i e they never happened. Uh, or the great Swedish skill is to scare its own population with false alarms about alleged Russian submarines near its coast. Quote, In 1982, several of Sweden's subs, boats, and helicopters pursued one of these unidentified sources for a whole month, only to come up empty-handed. What was it? Farts. It turns out herring have a swim bladder. Yes. And this swim bladder is connected to the anal duct of the fish. Literally, it was herring farts. Holy shit. Yep. And it was the bubbles that were coming out of the herrings. In layman's terms, they let one rip. Herrings swim in gigantic schools that can reach several square kilometers up to 20 meters deep. When something near frightens them, say a hungry school of mackerel or a submarine on the lookout for Russian spies, that can generate a whole lot of gas. So to test this theory. Wait, 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 wait,
0: wait we have the recording. You know this, right? Oh, come on. We found it. We heard them. Those Russian subs.
1: Uh, it was now, now even farts are Russian subs. MSNBC is not reporting <throat> this. Um, so to test this theory, Wahlberg bought a herring from store and applied pressure. And sure enough, it made up. A... So he took the footage to the Navy nice. personnel, played it back to them. And it was a perfect match for the noise that they'd been hearing.
0: Do You think they're going to get that same lady that did the Syrian backpack to smell these? So, yep. Yep. There's something there.
1: <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, smell. No, yeah, I smell. I smell chlorine mm-hmm. in the air. So the good news was that Sweden wasn't under threat from Russia. The bad news was that it had spent ten years deploying its military in pursuit of fish farts. Since it figured out what it was and wasn't fish farts, there have been zero reports of hostile intruders in Swedish waters. So great Swedish skills, indeed. Nice. Oh, independent left out shop. Swedish fish. Yeah, go get some go get some Swedish farts. I mean, some Swedish fish. Um, an indie beanie. We love our indie beanie. I certainly love it. Even my kids love it. My daughters were wearing. How did we miss that shirts to school this week? And my, I'm sure their classmates were very confused. Like, what the hell is that? It's daddy's merch. Yes, it's. Shut daddy's up and merch. take my money. Yeah, thank you. So, hi everybody. CS Moria, screw Google. Hi everybody. Oh
0: um i have i have something to announce again um <laughs> uh, new viewers of the channel might not remember but Bong cam has made a return
1: oh on cam kind of upside down but yeah it's, sure.
0: it's kind of the way it's it's good
1: Bon cam is back oh and let's do this we can go single reef on Bong cam Okay. You're getting a big reef face. Oh my. Wow. That is a lot nope. of your face. That is a lot of your eyeball right there. Okay, folks. I'm sorry. We're back to the two shot. <laughs> so yeah. Um how about that? Um, yeah. Good job, frogman. Way to cover your tracks. Um yeesh. not 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 so much. Um everybody kind of knew it then this was just confirmation i think it is kind of a distraction so that people are misdirected and not and not necessarily focused on the fact that there's still no discussion of peace talks or any kind of conversation about how we exit ramp this thing because the military and congress and Joe Biden and the contractors all have no interest in doing so when the rest of the world is saying enough is enough. Um, Come on, man. Yeah. Fuck you. What? So here's the next story. And this one is really bugging me. Um, and that's the Temple U grad strike, grad student strike. So here's an update. Uh, I caught an article. I've been trying to follow up and get some kind of update what's happening with these with these kids and they are kids to me what's you know, happening what's happening they're in their they're in their mid-20s and i'm in i'm in my 40s i'm gen x to half a boomer and certainly the way no I, so i found this publication called billy Penn, and last week mm-hmm. we did a story about temple u and one of the grad students was nice enough to join find it somehow in some kind of search that they had an alert that anybody who was doing anything, they found it and they popped in. We were talking this week. I sent her this article and she's like, yeah, actually, this is one of the best articles covering what happened. So I'm proud to, to showcase it. So Billy Penn is, you know, William Penn, one of the founders of the country. But the, the magazine is called BillyPenn.org, I believe. Temple cancels free tuition and health care for striking grad students. These sons mm-hmm. of bitches. So the Tugs to strike. All right. The university's response has garnered widespread condemnation, of course, as it should. So this is our Temple University thing. Um, and this pisses me off. Temple University Grad Student Association said in an email Thursday that these were not just drastic and immoral actions by the administration, but also unnecessary and out of line with the response to previous grad student strikes across the country. Health insurance is provided to all Temple students, regardless of employment status, so the attempts to cut off members' coverage was confusing, cruel, and clearly misguided, the union said. This is really fucked up. As the strike and its response to bring, bring national attention to Philadelphia labor issues, Here's a look at how we got here and where this battle's headed. This does a really good job of kind of summarizing that a week after Temple grad students went on strike in search of better pay and improved working conditions. The fight between the union and the administration turned ugly. On Wednesday, union members began receiving emails from the university alerting them that their tuition remission would be revoked for the spring semester, Which would force students to pay thousands of dollars by March 9th if no agreement is reached. Some students have also reported having their health insurance taken away, leading elected officials and others to condemn the university's actions, which we said. So, tuition remission, which is where the school covers all or partial tuition for employees, is offered to Temple grad students if they work for the university as TAs or RAs. So, if it's taken away, they need to pay that full semester's worth of tuition. And for a standard course load of twelve credit hours, that amount can be upwards of twenty thousand dollars for out for out of state students, depending on their field of study. Even in state students, it's still, I believe, anywhere from ten to fifteen. So there's a question is is it legal even that they can that that, that they can take health care out of away from striking students and it's unclear, but Union says it's gonna file an unfair labor complaint with the Federal Labor Relations Authority, so we'll know more if it's if a ruling's made, but generally tuition remission for grad students performing TAs or RAs is not taxable income, so it may not count as compensation, but the administration says that it does not have the right to dock pay for striking workers. It not only does not does it have the right to dock pay but it can also withhold benefits on top of that so oh, great yep and we already heard last week that they were encouraging the the teachers to continue teaching classes and they were telling the students to still go to class and i've got more on that this this week too mm. so these guys spoke to from temple spoke to vice news well, those Tugsa members who've chosen not to work are on strike and no longer entitled to their compensation and work-related benefits, which include tuition remission. Uh, that's not true. Maintaining that the university has done nothing that violates Pennsylvania law. Yeah, but it violates the agreement that you've had with your students for how long? Yeah, taking away health care has been a commonly used strike-breaking tactic. Last year, Senator Bob Casey introduced federal legislation to make it illegal, but of course. Thank you, Democrats. That's another thing that they can't get done. The bill has not been passed. And, of course, they never will because their bosses won't let them. What? So,
2: yeah.
1: Huh? So when did this grad student union form? Right? And... Wait, what? Oh, uh, crab distracting me. You bastard. Yeah, Tugsa which formed in 97, uh, 1997, I was actually still in college then, as the Graduate Association for Teaching and Research, rallying around concerns of, of grad students' working conditions and proposed cuts to teaching and research assistants. Hmm. In 2000, the Pennsylvania Labor Relations Board declared that Temple's grad students were in fact employees who could unionize, and they did so the following year. Apples Union formed in the midst of a busy period for unionization in campuses across the country. First union of the kind formed in the 60s at Wisconsin-Madison. This happened to be where my father went to school in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. And after the wave that included Tuxa, nearly 40,000 students were part of unions. With dozens of unions, that number is now estimated to be twice as high. But locally, graduate students at Penn State voted against unionization in 2018 after four years of effort, just two months after UPenn grad students withdrew their petition to vote for union. So it's it's a mixed bag a little bit. But wondering who are the members of TUGSA? You've got approximately 750 grad students in the union, which represents about 60% of the total graduate workers at the union, uh, at that school. They teach core undergrad classes, and they work with faculty members on research. So in total, there are around 10,000 enrolled students across Temple's graduate programs.
2: Okay, so
1: I don't understand the number because somebody said something about 80%, and they had to get 80% of people. So they had to get an 80% vote or at least a 50% vote of union members in order to be able to authorize the strike action, which they did. And what happened is this wonderful student that I was communicating with over the last week sent me that this is the email that they sent out right after about 12 students, including them, had finished putting a flyer in every single dorm room in the university. A lot of carefully worded manipulative manipulative language, and they also lied and said that they appreciate the more than 80% of TUGS members who have remained on the job and continue to te- teach and conduct research. That's just not true. That number doesn't make sense as a strike requires a majority vote from the union, which they got. They also wanted to mention that the undergrad student workers like tour guides and tutors at the library are sometimes paid as low as seven fifty dollars per hour. Um, and we talked last week about that they're paid an average of I think nineteen thousand dollars per year, but that the cost of living and just renting a, a two-bedroom apartment in Philly is nineteen fifty, or a one-bedroom apartment, it was was more than that. It was like twenty-three thousand dollars a year. So yeah. what the what this letter says, and I'm not sure if if it's blown up enough for for everyone to read it. Says, dear students, we know that your time as a student at Temple University is an educational opportunity related to the future of your career. We appreciate your continued focus on learning during this disruptive period. This week, we became aware of flyers posted around campus, emails and social media messages that urge you not to attend classes or complete assignments and to participate in a walkout. Actions that could jeopardize your academic goals. Missing classes or assignments can impact your personal progress. You know, that's not really threatening, but it's threatening. We want you to know that striking Tugsa members have no authority to cancel classes or make any promises regarding your attendance, grades, or any other matter related to courses that they are no longer teaching. doesn't say that they can't control the ones that they do. We understand that some of these striking instructors are making this request while they continue attending classes. That's also a lie so as not to jeopardize their own academic process. They're not being hypocritical and going to their own classes while saying to everybody else, don't go to mine or don't go to any. Typical union smear job from management. It's their goal to minimize interruptions. So fuck these guys. Um, This is what the flyer looks like. And I wish I had Reefy's little Zoomer thingy. Um. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can morning kids will get covered with these. Yep. So it'll get covered with these, and then there's there there's one up on the thing. Temple is scared, and it says we have a right as students after the ad drop to retain our original professors. That includes our TAs. This is a fully legal strike, which means the temple can replace them temporarily, but they are still your real professor. They are still the ones who control your grades, not scabs. You are protected academically, even if you stand with Tugsa. Do not attend your scabbed classes. Join the picket line. Walk out on all classes on, Febu- on, on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, and attend the rally at 2 p.m. at Bell Tower. Their fight is our fight, too. And there's another flyer that they're putting out, and it's freaking out administration and management, apparently. So, today, I got a further update, which was that the Temple student government stands in support with Temple's teaching and research assistants in their pursuit of a living wage, healthcare expansion, and expanded family and bereavement leave. Hard work and dedication from Temple's TAs and RAs deserve a sustainable wage. We call upon Temple University to reinstate tuition remission and the healthcare plans of the striking workers. And the Temple University reach an agreement without passing the costs on to students. Temple is tasked with supporting. I don't think that's too much to ask. Temple admin can absolutely right. suck it. So, I I kind of like this view. I don't know if you see it, but check it out. We what got you? merch, merch. We got merch. We got merch every day. Independent left that shop. Everybody. You could also go to IndieNews.shop. Yeah. Hey, how about that? Thank you, Monet. Oh, I'm giving I'm giving it away a little bit. All right. So, Senec, hi Senec, welcome. Good to see you, Desert Mantis. Hello there. Um, yeah. Screw Google. We're just uh, we're just fucked. I mean, we're completely. Where's my misty sound? Sh- sound thing here. We're fucked. Yeah. So oh, and and of course we're fucked. Nancy enjoys it better than anything else, but I don't know what happened to all the soundboard. My soundboard's screwed. That's good. Um. Well, I don't know what's gonna happen, but if they do a full school walkout and it really starts becoming news, it's um. They can win, and that's the whole idea. You know, they've got to win something here. Dude, Von Cam's active this evening. Here, let's see a whole lot of Reef. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. We got a whole lot of Reef. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a big hit what? of vape. Okay, uh, no more yes. Reef. No more Reef. You got a whole lot of indie now. I enjoy Misty's We're Fucked better than anything else, too. Um. So, next... And we're doing pretty well because it's, is it? Oh, we're only 45 minutes in because we started late. Right. Amazon worker reinstated. Yay. Okay. We actually have a decent story. How about that? Yeah. I found a decent uplifting story, a good one, which is from this lady, Sarah Fee. She works in San Bernardino, California. How my coworkers got me reinstated. Holy shit. One day the workers performed a one day strike. And you'll see. And this, she wrote this letter. Uh, she wrote this this article in Labor Notes, which I thought was really cool. So you're hearing directly from a worker who was retaliated against, fired, or suspended, and her coworkers stood up for her in solidarity. And they're not in a union, but they are organized and working towards a union. And I support that tremendously. So I'm going to read her words here. That she's never organized before, but and what they're doing at Amazon is all new to her. When she first started working at KSBD, which is the Amazon air hub in San Bernardino, it was in the middle of the pandemic and they were hiring in mad numbers. No one else was. She needed a job fast, and it seemed like the kind of place where she could move up. KSBD is brand new. It opened in April of '21, and she's among one of the first one of the first hired. Depending on the season, there were about 1,200 to 1,600 workers there. Located at an airport, so a few hundred people work outside with the planes and the rest of us are inside, right? She works on the docks unloading trailers that operates 24-7. Holy shit. So, when she started she was organizing but didn't even recognize it. But she was focused on the work process and making the warehouse run more smoothly and seemed like Amazon had opened KSBD without a lot of planning which is weird, like we were testing the operation as we went and she was really hands-on and they helped to make the way uh, they move freight freight through the warehouse, safer, more efficient, but for the same, of course, low pay. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jeff. Hmm. But then she went to an all hands meeting of everyone in the warehouse and some of her coworkers stood up and challenged the managers about unexpected holiday closures. And she learned that when, Amazon closed the warehouse for additional days around Christmas and New Year's. Some people lost almost a full week of pay. Suddenly they didn't have all the money that they were counting on to buy Christmas gifts. Uh, One of the coworkers lost her place to live. And it was that that changed her focus to her coworkers and what she needed. She was doing mutual aid. She didn't even know what she was doing, but she was doing mutual aid. So Mm. on her first day, so she says that there are so many ways to get fired, and her quote is that on on the first day at the on your first day they like to pound it into you that you you have a real future with the company. It's very rah rah, okay. Um, a lot of people get promoted. And there's room for progression, and they tell this to everybody uh, in group meetings and in one of the departments. But you learn pretty quickly that it's almost that almost none of the tier one associates, which are the M- entry-level employees like her ever become managers. And then you start to hear the stories about people who've applied for promotions and have all their paperwork in line. And then they never hear back. They never move up. When you first get hired, they also tell you that there are many ways to get fired. We can't even list them all. They say, we can't even tell you all the reasons because that would take forever in the warehouse. They watch you. There are cameras everywhere. When you're under surveillance like that, and you know you can get fired at any moment, it makes you scared and paranoid. The fear is instilled from day one. I'm going to pause there because I will also say that that aligns with the conversations that we've had from with Matt, who was our former, um, you know, the the fired and retaliated employee in Kentucky at the Amazon warehouse. But I also have been talking with another amazon worker anonymously he he's or they have asked repeatedly i don't know if it's a he or she actually but but they're more to the right wing and i believe they're they're more in the south but what they've been saying is uh, was that at christmas time they took away some type of paid bonus that was not happening okay on top of screwing over the uh peak pay and the Christmas bonus, they decided not to give holiday pay for Christmas Eve. Relatively small, but certainly adds insult to injury. So uh, they also rolled back their cold snap policy, which is that they used to pay people to go home during deep freezes, but not anymore, which is kind of messed up. Um, so why did Sarah go on strike and her with, with her colleagues, which is that they want to get paid a dignified wage, living in California, nineteen twenty an hour doesn't go very far. Nieces, she's got nieces and nephews and brothers. She wanted to be able to do things like take them out to dinner, high birthday or Christmas gifts. This year she wasn't, unfortunately, able to do much of that. Right? So she also wants the warehouse to be a safe place where they have high rates of musculoskeletal injuries, concussions, heat stroke, repetitive motion injuries. And she wants it to be a place where you're not in fear of losing your job all the time, where you could have a career or stay there and have a good job for a while. Also, probably somewhere you can move up. Uh, That's why last summer we started our group of KSBD employees, Inland Empire Workers United, and went on one-day strikes in August and October. So each time, about 150 of them walked out, majority of the shift. While they were outside the facility, they heard that managers were frustrated and the volume of freight processed was way down, of course. Since their strikes, they won some safety improvements. They got more access to water and fans. And managers finally acknowledged that they have the right to take heat breaks to prevent their bodies from overheating. (laughs) And they won a $1 an hour increase, which was with even more for the night shift. That's all great, but these changes aren't why we are why we won't stop organizing so since our first strike in august union busters at that facility have targeted her and the other worker leaders surprise surprise she doesn't know if it's something most people can imagine a consultant employed by amazon is paid a lot to watch them to talk to the people she works with and just be there Or they isolate her, assign her for the day to a different area with just one or two other people. And it definitely has had an effect on her mental health, which is really sad and done by design. They're trying to force her to quit or to stop. When she spoke up to the building manager about this retaliation, they suspended her. And her job was threatened. But her coworkers had her back. They quickly put together a plan. Someone suggested wearing stickers that said, where is Sarah? They mapped out how to get everyone in the warehouse talking about Amazon retaliating against an associate, and they filed an unfair labor practice charge with the NLRB. They wore stickers until she was reinstated three days later, and she kept her job, and she owes it to her coworkers working together. For her, the highlight of working at Amazon is being part of Inland Empire Amazon Workers United. It's the people, spending time with my coworkers and making our workplace better and safer. Fucking Amazon doesn't deserve somebody this good. When it's you versus Amazon, you know who has the power. But when we work together, there's nothing better to protect you. Chris Smalls, are you listening? We need to we we need to elevate and amplify the stories of people like this. Sarah Fee, she works at the Amazon Hub in San, San Bernardino. What was that? Oh, that was my... Uh, this, is, this is fantastic. So if you want to reach out through Instagram... Twitter, email, i.e. workers at gmail.com. Support these guys. Total solidarity with what they did. That's outstanding. And guess what? We got merch. Yes, I'm going to do this every single time. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) IndieLeft.media. By the way, that's the website where you can get to everything. And the way that I laid this out in the middle, the websites are on the left and the shows are on the right. So you've got IndieLeft.media. That's our hub website. You've got indieleft.news, that's the news website that updates once a day. And then you've got Indie Media Today, that's our Substack. And I put I push that out manually and and assemble those and publish them. And these are the shows like you're watching now. these Tech Tips, which is exclusively on Rumble. And Friends of Indie Left, which one of these days will be coming back, is an interview show. We've done a dozen of them already. And you can check those out in our playlists and our archives. And also on the Substack, all these um
0: damn son where'd you find this
1: yeah thanks and of course we are members of INN so there's indie news shop is the INN store and you can get INN merch including Jesse Jet stuff and Who are these people? thank you and uh yeah so let's go back to our two box there and we've got all our friends watching which is awesome um Yay. Anybody watching over on anybody watching over on the Rockfin? It would be nice. Rockfin.com slash IND left news. If you are, give us a poke over there. No, according to this, it's just just me. Well, it'll be there and it's ad free and it's kick-ass and it's a great site. And everybody you know and love is there, from the gray zone to um Zabby Sabs, RBN, Richard Medhurst. I spend a lot of time watching stuff on uh, on um Rockfin, even though I have YouTube premium. If you don't have YouTube premium and you want to watch content without ads, it is the easiest, fastest, best platform to do that. Their chat sucks. Yeah, their chat does suck, but watch all the old clips and stuff. It's all there free and ad free. They don't make, they don't make you watch anything. Um, and there are some premium ones, but 97%, all of our stuff is free and you can watch any of my clips. And how do we miss that? And All of Joe's videos are up there on rockfin.com/inn that we also have a channel for inn um anyway i want to get to our solar story and this is this is another actual good story so what is this greater than 50% done solar usa i'm like wait what yeah how about that mm-hmm. check it out 54% of new electric generating capacity in the United States this year, according to the EIA, will be solar. Solar panels installed on rooftops of buildings in San Francisco. That's what you're seeing here, of course. But a new report from the Energy Information Administration. Of course, the government is designed to lie to us, and they've, I'm sure, twisted this fact somewhere, but anywhere close to 54% of new electric generating capacity in the U.S. is going from, coming from solar energy. How about that? Developers are planning to add 54.5 gigawatts of new utility-scale electric generating capacity to the country's power grid this year, most of it being solar, of course, according to EIA's Preliminary Monthly Electric Generator Inventory. That's their geeky monthly industry trade magazine in which developers and power plant operators report upcoming projects to EIA. So developers have about 29.1 gigawatts right now of utility-scale solar capacity planned for 2023, following a recent decline of 23% from 2022 compared with 21. Well, that makes sense because they saw that an economic slowdown was starting to happen in the marketplace, greedy bastards, and they stopped spending as much money. Prior to that decline, solar...
0: What? A bit more gigawatts to get back to the future, you know?
1: Like, I believe it was 1.21 gigawatts. Gigawatts. Yeah. So that's a lot less than 29.1. We need 1.21 to generate a flush capacitor. But the ball <laughs> of lightning. Um, solar generating elect, uh, electric generator. Uh, prior to that decline, solar electric generating capacity had been rising since 2010. But that, of course, was due to a lot of government subsidy. Supply chain issues in the pandemic led to a decline last year, partly because they couldn't get the panels, they couldn't get the chips, they couldn't get the stuff out. Plus, you had that huge shipping delay at the ports. Mm-hmm. EIA predicts that delayed projects from 2022 may be part of the high percentage of the electric-generated capacity that's actually coming from solar projects for this year. They're a year behind. EIA also noted that should all these planned projects go into operations for this year, this year we'll have the highest amount of utility-scale solar capacity added in one year ever, at least in the United States. Current record is 13.4 gigawatts of utility-scale solar capacity, which we added in 21. Texas will be home to the highest amount of, sol- of new solar capacity at 7.7 gigawatts, followed by California at 4.2. The question is also storage for storage capacity. So are you storing this this power, and how much are you losing in your transfer and delivery?
0: And where are you getting ah, that storage from? Hey,
1: after solar, battery storage makes up the highest percentage of new utility-scale electric generating capacity in the U.S. for 23, comprising 17% of projects planned for the year. Developers expect to add...
0: Where are we getting that lithium? mm -hmm. What? Yeah.
1: Developers expect to add 9.4 gigawatts the country's eight current 8.8 so we're more than doubling our capacity on battery storage for electric generating capacity which is good because all that energy you're you're generating you've got to store it somewhere so what they're saying again is that battery storage systems are increasingly installed with wind and solar power projects wind and solar are intermittent sources of generation they produce only electricity when the wind is blowing or the sun is shining Batteries can store it from wind and solar for later use. Like I just said, they expect 71% of new battery storage capacity will be in California and Texas with significant wind and solar capacity. That kind of makes sense. Other other utility scale energy electric generating capacity projects include 7.5 gigawatts of natural gas with the two largest projects uh, planned for Ohio and Illinois. That's fracking. Six gigawatts of wind power, primarily planned for Texas, and 2.2 gigawatts of nuclear energy, which, again, we're not really in favor of. And for the first time ever in over 30 years, two nuclear reactors have been built in the United States and are expected to come online this year following a long several-year delay. Ask the people around Indian Point Nuclear uh, Plant how they feel about living near a nuclear power plant. In 2023, EIA reported that only one offshore wind project is expected to begin operations this year, the South Fork Wind Plant off New York. That's all the way down at the end of um, Long Island. So, this is Big Mad Crab. That's Greg. He's in the chat, maybe. He was earlier. He made the thumbnail. He makes a lot of thumbnails. He's awesome. He's our creative director and he has a store. And the easiest way to get to your store is to go to linktr.ee/bigbadcrab. Or you can just go to indienews.network, find meet the members and find Big Mad Crab and you can find him there too. Big Mad Crab, you got to do you got to work on that link, bro. You got to work on that link.
2: You got to work on that link, bro. I don't know, man. I don't know. So yes, I know it's cut
1: off. So let's get back to our slideshow and we will go that. Mm-hmm. So we also have his Twitter file sweatshirt with Elon's head on it. I don't know why you would want a sweatshirt with Elon's head, but that ain't me. And then of course, if you want a shirt with Yoel Roth letting all the agencies into Twitter headquarters, there's one available for you for just twenty eight ninety nine. News.network. Go to Shut the. Shut up
2: and take my money.
1: Go to the Big Mad Crab store. All right. Mastermind Hour. Hello, fam. Welcome, welcome. I don't know if Jilly Love is in the chat. She's awesome, too. Shout
2: out to Jilly Love. This uh. is an article that was written by a family member chris legion i n n member and it hurt it hurt to read but
1: i i um i thought it was really important that we read it somebody reads it somewhere on a stream um damn so um i'm gonna i'm gonna get to it and then this is this is all we have for today, and then we can get to some boats so, Chris has, I don't know if you noticed, but we haven't seen Chris lately. Um, he had been censored multiple times. He got kicked off of Twitter. His Facebook account got messed with. He got reported by NAFO, and you're going to hear about all this. And we missed the hell out of him. So, I want to read this. Um, This is why I left the online left. So, his departure from the online left and its inability to solve its own internal insecurities and a lot of this rings true and a lot of this hits home and especially in light of what's happening next weekend and all the divisiveness and all the protesting against the protest march and rally that's going to be happening in dc at the Lincoln memorial next sunday rage um that's range against the war machine you can follow them on twitter as well we have a couple of inn members that are going to be speaking and attending but. There's been a lot of attacks against some of the speakers. Tulsi Gabbard's going to be there. Ron Paul's going to be there. Tennis Q Synod is going to be there. There's like 30 speakers, including Chris Hedges and Garland Nixon and Jimmy Dore and Tara Reid. And, wow, so many I can't even name. Um, I'm not sure if Misty is organizing or she's speaking or she's, she's going to be there, I believe, too. But, yeah in light of all of that and in the face of all of that, I wanted to go through this. So
0: not to derail too much, but go back the, um, you know, you know, the, uh, one more, go the other way. I need Chrissy's face up there. There you go. One, go Jesus Christ. This one. Paul, God. Yes. Um, you know that, you know that scene in the, the new Avengers where like, they have Hulk, but like Hulk smart. You no. know, no, I, 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 I feel, I feel like that's the look Chris was going for. I don't, you know,
1: I don't watch any of that, so I,
0: I, I can't help you there. But no, it's like the Hulk, but like the Hulk got like those glasses. You know, he's like more Mark Ruffalo Hulk. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, okay. Well, those glasses, the fire glasses, are kind of hulky.
1: But anyway. He's hulky, hulky, dad. Anyway, he says, and I really appreciate that he that he took the time out to start by prefacing by saying this, because if not, I probably would have probably been pretty butthurt reading through it. He says, before I begin, I'd like to express that nothing I'm about to discuss in this article is directed at anyone over at INN and RBN who supported me these past several years. My good friends, Indian Reef, have been nothing but supportive of my opinions and on the state of current political climate, and the challenges that many of us face on our side of the ideological spectrum. As, those, as for those of you who actually care, I haven't been around the online left spaces as of late. After a frustrating time dealing with heavy-handed censorship on both Twitter and many other platforms, and the massive amounts of snowflake hypersensitive online leftists, I've decided to leave the online left and move on to take care of my family and focus on my personal and professional life path. Although my ideology still remains unwavering, I refuse to be part of a movement that isolates itself from any hope of substantial change. From Social Dems, who seem to be more obsessed with keeping the activist left focused on irrelevant distractions, creepy sex pests, Marcus, Marxist cult leaders who like to take advantage of those under them who suffer from desperate circumstances. For those who start unnecessary divisions over non-sequential historical events. We can also add the many times I lost followers for simply chuckling over the ridiculous term of Macic communism. To be honest, it was an unrealistic attempt to court the right who would only take up arms against the notion of ever entertaining the thought of having a communist society. It was disturbing to see so many fragile followers stop following me for that one disagreement even though we agreed on 99.9%. On all on the, on other ideological takes. Once again, it was just more proof of what I expected in my current evaluations of the online left. Combine these instances with three-letter agency ops. <clears throat> yeah, we've seen some of those. And we have a perfect recipe for delusional perceived trust issues. I actually had one comrade who I fully supported who decided one day out of the blue that I was an op. So needless to say I was canceled by that individual. Many times I've reached out to many of those on the activist online left and no matter how many times we agreed on an issue it seemed that many of them were more concerned with the idolization and praise of themselves rather than the actual causes they were advocating for on their daily live streams. Thin-skinned online leftists, oh that's funny. Thin-skinned online leftists would often invite me on their shows But when I couldn't make it for personal issues like working 12 hour shifts at my legalized slavery job, the same very thin skinned online leftists would take it personal and in many cases would exclude me from events and protests they were scheduling and advocating for. The only time I seemed to gain support from high profile leftists was when a tweet of mine went viral, which basically confirmed my suspicion that they were just in the game for a back rub from these audiences. When my account was censored and none of my tweets were were hitting, none of my tweets were hitting well, there they were really nowhere to be found. Not a single mention or concern. Not a single amount of support with the exception of my comrades at INN. The levels of distrust by the left have pushed away potential support from others who eager beginners just learning of the leftist ideology and its interpretation of life. Yes, technically I was new to the movement and they told me to get lost. So in many cases, people wanted that wanted to be part of substantial change but were turned away by the left or turned off. So what's the question? How do you grow a movement when everyone who doesn't fit the exact criteria of leftist excellence doesn't get accepted and is somehow perceived as a threat looking to dismantle it? Now fast forward to another issue, which has pushed me out of the space. Besides the unscrupulous infighting, which gets the left nowhere, I've noticed that the left likes to talk tough with no action or real concerted effort to fight for the cause in question. For example, telling, a pe- telling people to punch a Nazi, but too, too afraid to pressure progressives in Congress. The online left needs to come together on their present economic interests rather than just complaining on their YouTube channels. They feel that screaming into a bullhorn, getting beat up and, getting beat and being unjustly detained by the police would somehow get them sympathy from a hypocritical populace who has no issue with voting for a sexual deviant president. They think that somehow they would get noticed by the average American who has no issue with supporting a corrupt Eastern European country that has Nazis in it. The BLM protests prove nothing, only that dissent will never be considered by any liberal or Western leftist. Currently, there are two outcomes that can produce results. One is waiting for the empire to fall, hoping that the left has a seat at the table when a new government forms, or the formation of a well-trained and organized militia that can actively stand against the tyranny of a nation which is inherently corrupted to the core. Complaining and yelling into the void on YouTube isn't going to cut it. Yelling in the front of the Capitol steps and being mad because an irrelevant member of Congress is dancing is not going to cut it. Marching down a city street where you need to get a permit and you're only allowed to protest when they tell you it's okay, is not going to cut it. My disdain for the right and its trickery pretending to care about Western corruption is justifiably true. But they're under no delusion that dissent can be formed by fighting on all fronts, including having our, uh, and our militia. Not saying we need to go to war with our country. But the, serious, the seriousness of the left and its commitment into trying to change the nation to a more social friendly democracy is unrealistically evident. Even discussions of the tactic of carrying out small acts of civil disobedience are met with a vigorous debate and condemnation by many different online Western left voices. You wouldn't believe all the infighting I would see in DMs. Every time an organizer would try to organize a positive event, you could always count like clockwork for a heated exchange to take place from within. Like bickering teenagers. They would fight over whether to, over where to have events, who was grifting and who wasn't, who was an op and who wasn't. They would produce team sport rivalries between factions. and <clears throat> Damn worse. One of the most annoying parts about the online left is if you say the wrong word. The leftist word police will extract a heavy toll on your insensitivity, which could get you excommunicated for life on Twitter. I'm making fun here, but it's an extreme laughable scenario. If not just simply sad, you can say that this is just normal behavior for the online left. Since I've been witnessing it regularly, I honestly feel that the online left is not serious about changing the world and shaping the political landscape, or the very least, it's completely ego driven. And I'm going to stop right there because I took a little bit of personality, you know, personal, body, personal, whatever, with that. Because Chris didn't even know when he wrote this what was happening. I don't think it had even happened yet. But something happened with an INN. And something very similar to that about a word. And it caused somebody to leave because the rest of the network was not comfortable with that person using that word. And not just using it in speech, but using it in writing and using it as a stream title. And it was an issue. And I think that's really what he's talking about. And it's something that we need to think about and look at ourselves about. How upset are we going to be? You know, how upset do we need to be about this? What do we need to let go in order to be able to be more embracing? You know, um, and here's, here's what Chris is going to continue. So, what have I been doing since I've been gone? Well, as I've been away for a while to do my own thing, I've deleted all my accounts, and I've kept my personal accounts. From what I've observed, it's that the left is nowhere to be found on social media. Not on TikTok, not on YouTube, not on Facebook, not Twitter, or any other platform. Unless you're Jimmy Dore or some of the larger channel, you can basically expect to have a maximum of 50,000 followers. YouTube channels of people giving their dogs baths, have more followers than the average leftist YouTuber. Oh, that hurt. I've seen channels with men showing their laser disc collection that have 500,000 followers. So why is this happening? Well, here are some of the reasons. And I love this top 10 list, and I posted this actually. This is only a, a partial list. It doesn't apply all of it to anybody, but I think that most people can relate to at least a couple of these is that the system will never push you into the algorithm unless you already have celebrity or professional status or you just totally sell out. You're going to lose support from potential viewers because you alienate anyone who doesn't agree with you 100% of the time that you're on social media. You're canceling potential supporters because you're hypersensitive over words that may offend others. You trust no one because anyone can be a potential three-letter op. You establish an unrealistic criteria of acceptance which turns off people from joining your movement. You fail to recognize that the left is an extremely small movement online which has no say in any form of substantial change on, on all platforms which are openly censoring them. You want cheerleaders instead of revolutionaries and potential newcomers who are interested in leftist ideology. Those in power are not scared of you, but you think they are that somehow at any moment they'll fall and you don't study your enemies, their tactics and their faults. All you do is complain about them and that you identify with your viewers pain, but you have no solutions for them other than just screaming that everything is unfair. Yeah, that hurts because I think a lot of us can identify with a couple of these, with some of the people that we watch, some of the people that we know, and maybe even in ourselves. Where do I go from here, Chris says. Well, I've realized that the best course of action is to make change where my strengths lay. I recently have been focusing my energy on a new laundry business that I'll be acquiring. Inspired by activists like Rome from RBN, I'll be setting days where I can help homeless and low-income families wash their clothes for free, giving back through mutual aid, and working in small part to make some minor changes in people's lives. If things take off and we purchase more locations, we can expand the program to more low-income neighborhoods. I feel my time is better spent doing this, rather than looking for ideological cheerleaders on Twitter. (sighs) Yeah. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone at Indie News Network for their unwavering support. And for everyone else, I hope a better future arises from the chaotic darkness of our current time. I'll be continuing to write on Substack with future updates. See you in the next article. And that's Waking Up with Chris Legion. And you'll hopefully be able to see him continue to publish on INN, which, of course, he's family and he's welcome to do whenever he wants.
2: I miss the fuck out of him. Mm. Thoughts? No, I mean,
0: you know, it feels like normal, you know, so
1: now, mind you, he been wrote saying this, those
0: things for a while.
1: He wrote this like a while ago.
2: Um,
0: yeah.
2: And it's perfectly relevant today.
1: Like literally today, with
0: Mm
2: -hmm. all the
1: crap that's been going on. So, yeah, we need we need smart people like
2: that, and we're driving them away. So, all right, fuck it. Damn. So, um,
1: that was fun. Yeah, go read Chris Legion's article. Share that, please. All the links in the. I mean, uh, if you read, if well, if you can read, I I I read. I, I do read. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like that thing where you open a book. I love Australians. Oop. They're so great. Um, yeah. So this week, Laura's moving to Fridays. I understand. So we'll see who that's going to be. Our first guest on Friday nights. Um, Tuesday night, there will be no American tradition, so we have Monday and Tuesday off. But you're prepping for INN News Wednesday nice. night. Um, yeah, I need to put together a new episode of Indies Tech Tips. it's Been a couple of weeks since I did that, so those episodes are actually doing really well. Um, on Rumble, and it's the only place they are. And each view, each video in the last three or four, each have like a couple hundred views a piece, so that's pretty cool. Um, I make a sub stack and teach you guys about sub and talk content creators about sub stack and shout out to roar media, by the way, Oz, Linda, we had a meeting this week and they got started with their sub stack. So once that launches and they're publishing, we'll share that around and get everybody to, uh, to subscribe to that and support them. They're great. Um, I forget, there were some other people and things that I want to shout out and I didn't make any notes to go over so, some stuff at the end. But uh just follow everybody on Twitter, indie dot network. Follow me indie dot media, right? Independentleft.shop, dot shop. You yep. get all the stuff. And uh I'm glad Philly lost. Ah sorry. I'm from Jersey. I have to. <coughs> it's, my, yep. it's my it's my it's my God given right as a as a resident of Jersey. And um yeah, so I'm just gonna keep uh saying. Keep questioning everybody's motivations and I appreciate everybody coming tonight. We'll see you guys next Sunday night. Um, happy Valentine's day. Don't get your VD on. That's all I can say tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, and make sure you take care of your significant other because they put up with you. And
0: that's a lot. So that everybody love you. Keep listening to what little birds had to tell you. Good night, fam.
2: I think I liked it better being blind When I couldn't read between the lines and When I couldn't see the cracks in the structure That lay bare before me the whole time I think I liked it better back when I Suspended disbelief and swallowed pride I thought I knew the difference in the red from the blue But they both bleed us so dry bleed are so dry. My favorite songs don't hit the same way. I get to the end of a four-minute track, and I'm only looking back thinking, what did they actually say?